Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be when a hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so grateful that you're listening in on the show. I've been doing a series of episodes uh, of the radio show and podcast here related to um, this new book I did called Rethinking Life. That's the title of it. And the whole thing is uh, about a comprehensive ethic of life. The idea that every person is made in the image of God, every life is precious and sacred, and kind of refusing to limit our ethic of life to one issue, like just abortion or just the death penalty, and saying we need to uh, not shrink what it means to be pro-life, but expand it uh, to all these intersecting issues. And the first piece of the book is about um, building this foundation for life. And the second uh, kind of section of the book is around how that foundation for life has cracked over the centuries and thinking about um, the enslavement of people and the colonization of native lands and the uh, eugenics project, anti-Semitism, so many different things that were cracks in the foundation that were actually theological. Uh, and Christians, uh, bad religion played a major role in, in um some of the most deadly and tragic uh, parts of history. And so the, then then the, the good news is the end, you know, this how to repair our ethic of life and be a force for life in the world. So this week, you know, I, I wanted to think about the early church because the early church is an inspiration for me uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, community sharing economic possessions as the book of Acts is, they shared everything in common. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they also were so consistent in their advocacy for life and in their resistance to the forces of death. Um, so, I don't know if you've read much about the early Christians, but there's a lot of great books out there. Uh, there's one called The Early Christians in Their Own Words, and it's just their edited words. It has kind of different sections on different themes. Um, that just has an editor, Eberhard Arnold, uh, edited that book of their their the early Christian sayings. It's free online, too, by the way, um, for the, the frugal people out there. You can, you can download the whole book. Uh, and then my friend Ron Sider, rest in power, brother, uh, he passed away recently, but he wrote a lot of good books on this consistent ethic of life. And one of them is called The Early Church on Killing. So he kind of goes through all of their books um, and look at uh, all the writings and um, has this, this beautiful book, The Early Church on Killing. Uh, so I'm building on some of that. And, and, uh, 
as I research this, so the, the one of the things that you see is in the first three centuries of Christianity, uh, there's not a single person uh, that is defending violence or war or death. I mean, they were so powerful in the way that they spoke uh, for life. And uh, that, that's what we'll talk about. So this this section of the book that is called The Early Church Was a Force for Life. And the truth is, you know, Christians have been subverting death since A.D. 33, <laughs> since the sweet Lord Jesus uh, taught us, you know, as a prince of peace to value all life. And, um, and, and he interrupted an execution in the Gospels of a woman caught in adultery. And he said, you know, he challenged this logic of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and said, you've heard it said, Moses told you this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you this, don't even return the harm done to you. As, as my mama said, two wrongs don't make a right. So he challenges this idea that we are going to return the harm that's done to us. And uh, he, you know, uh, disarmed his own disciple, Peter, when Peter impulsively picks up a sword to protect Jesus and, and healed the man that Peter wounded. So as the early Christians are watching all of this and as they're interpreting it, um, it created this robust foundation for the advocacy of life, the subversion of death, and it also cost them their lives. You know, the, the, saying that every person is made in the image of God in an empire that is in the business of death uh, is not always popular. <laughs> I mean, they went to jail. I mean, this is true of the prophets before them, too. You think of uh, Jeremiah, you know, uh, ruffled some feathers. Uh, uh, the, the prophets of old went to jail. They got killed. John the Baptist, uh, who paved the way for Jesus, right? Jesus his cousin. He was um, in, imprisoned and then eventually executed, beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Peter was hung upside down on a cross. Almost all the disciples were executed. But all of that death just fueled their passion for life. So the early Christians, they, they weren't just anti-death, but they were for life. Uh, they were proclaiming the gospel of love. They were following the Prince of Peace. And no matter how hard the empire tried to kill them, they just kept multiplying. There, you know, there's that old proverb that they tried to bury us, but they didn't realize that we were seeds. So as the 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 early Christians were killed and martyred, um, it, it just spread like the seeds of dandelions. As they, as they died, uh, as the old saying goes, in the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the saints. So new Christians um, rose up. And in fact, uh, it was part of that defiant love. You can kill us and we will rise from the dead. They, they knew that they were witnesses of Christ's love, even in their own fearless um, confrontation with death as they were executed and the love that they showed to even their executioners. So the martyrs, they, they were like apples. As they fell, they left behind those seeds. Um, the, the culture that they lived in, I mean, I think it's it's important that there are things that directly parallel with the world that we live in. There are some things that are different, like they had the gladiatorial games, right, which they saw as 
a glorification of violence. And it was a horrible uh, glorification as people just were fed to beasts in the arena and people like, um, you know, ate popcorn or whatever you ate in the first century, but they, they just were entertainment. People's lives were entertainment. And so they spoke against those gladiatorial games, but they, they spoke um, uh, against um the, the death penalty unilaterally, and I kind of outline all the different quotes and different uh, on these different themes uh, in Rethinking Life. They spoke against militarism and war. Um, they, they, they also uh, spoke against uh, aggression and violence in our own hearts and how that can work itself out in, in relationships. And so Jesus had radically reoriented how these early Christian followers of his, you know, how they thought about death. Following the executed and risen Savior meant they were death's worst, worst enemies. I mean, what, what Jesus did on the cross was absorb all that violence and subvert it with love and forgiveness and an empty tomb. And so they they spoke passionately, consistently, comprehensively covering, you know, everything from military service to abortion, capital punishment, the gladiatorial games, and no Christian writing before Constantine in the fourth century argues that there is any circumstance in which a Christian may kill. I mean, we I've searched high and low, and so have friends of mine like Dr. Ron Sider to find one exception to that rule. Any Christian who defended killing, um, because we have a whole lot of Christians now that defend killing, or they defend the death penalty, or they, they seem to be really big champions of guns and war, blessing bombs and wars. And so you just don't see that. And we're going to get to Constantine. The next show will be um, on this shift that we begin to see and the big crack in the foundation that revealed itself during the, the era of Constantine, the first um, sort of professing emperor who was trying to hold the reins of power and of war and violence together with the gospel of Jesus. So we'll talk about that. But, you know, before we get there, just think about this, that the early Christians, um, they, they, they stood against all killing. This is Tertullian. He sternly prohibited, this is his quote, every sort of man killing. There's no exception to this idea that thou shalt not kill. Uh, Minutius Felix was a lawyer, and he said, to us, it is not lawful to see or hear of human slaughter. We want nothing to do with it. Um, Cyprian um, made this connection uh, that he said, the hand that carries the Eucharist the body and the blood of Christ, right? The hand that carries the Eucharist dare not be sullied by the blood-stained sword. Woo! So, I mean, they're literally saying we can't we 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 can't um, take in the body and the blood of Jesus and then shed the blood of another person. We cannot participate in the the bloodshed of our, the empire in which we live. Um, uh, Lacantius, uh, he said, we need to be ignorant of wars. I love that. Um, and he, he said, it is uh, always unlawful to put to death a person who God willed to be a sacred creature. That was Lacantius. Uh, um, and this he was in the third century. Some of these names are a little difficult, by the way. 
I don't know if you know anybody named Lactantius, but uh, th- I mean, but this idea that every person is a sacred creature. Um, that was that was a conviction of their heart. So not many of us are going to argue with the idea that it's wrong for an individual to kill. And we pretty much say, you know, it's murder. But we've learned to extend a certain amount of license to the state to kill on our behalf, which is something the early church just didn't do. Um, and, you know, sometimes folks use Romans 13 or these verses that say, you know, God is given the state uh, authority and we extend that to the to the authority to kill. I, I think it's a massive uh Miss, as, as my friend Reverend Barber calls it, uh, theological malpractice. <laughs> it's 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 bad theology to justify state killing because the early Christians didn't do that. To to allow the state to kill, even though we don't give permission to individuals to kill, is is, is this kind of contradiction, right? We continue to do it despite the state's terrible track record. I mean, of killing. Over the centuries, we see how vicious, I mean, and to, to be honest, I mean, the state is made up of individuals, right? So if, if individuals decide not to kill, then states don't just kill on their own. You know, like, um, that's why it raises the question, can you be a follower of Jesus and a commander in chief of an imperial army, <laughs> whether that's true in Rome or the United States, it's a, it's a big question. You know, these are questions the early Christians were answering, uh, trying to trying to raise and ask. Can you can you hold the cross of Jesus in one hand and a weapon in the other? Can you love your enemies and simultaneously prepare to kill them? Uh, so the early Christians insisted that it's always wrong to kill, and Cyprian. Um, the, the bishop uh, in the early church, he he had this powerful way of saying it. He, he said, uh, when an individual kills another individual, we call it evil, uh, as we should. But then he says, but why, when the government does it in mass, when the state does it in mass, do we sanctify it and call it good? It's wrong to kill, whether it's done by an individual or done by an emperor or a president or a soldier. It's always wrong to kill. And uh, Cyprian also went on to say, you know, every time we justify state killing, we say we're teaching our kids that violence can solve our problems. And so we should never extend the authority to the state that we would never allow an individual to do. The state doesn't have some divine power uh, that that individuals uh, don't hold. So, you know, th- this is it's a powerful idea. It raises a lot of theological questions, but listen to these words, Cyprian. So this is that the bishop in the third century. He said, the world is soaked, soaked with mutual blood. And when individuals commit homicide, it's a crime. But somehow it's called a virtue when it's done in the name of the state. Woo! So I, I want to, you know, invite us to think that, you know, even though we've often extended this right to states to kill and the death penalty and war, um, that it's always sinful. It's always a violation of our right or power to kill another person, even if we think they deserve it. You know, as, as my friend, sister Helen Prejean says, sometimes the question isn't whether someone deserves to die, but whether we deserve to kill. <laughs> and there's that beautiful um, statement of Jesus, right? That, that um, 
we're to get the log out of our own eye. If we call our neighbor a fool, we've committed murder in our heart. So we're to work on the violence in our own hearts. And we're never to take out that vengeance, which is meant just to be God's judgment, not ours. So it's wrong, you know, for, for the state to kill it. This was the conviction of the early church. In fact, it was so powerful that they they said the, the, the debate in military service was interesting in the early church because there, um, there, there, there was no debate on whether or not someone could kill. In fact, they went so far to say if a Christian is in the military, they have to refuse to kill, refuse to carry a weapon or to, 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 to participate in violence. Um, but the debate in the early church was over whether or not a Christian could even serve in the military in a non-combatant role. And we we kind of think of the military as fighting wars, but in the first century, they certainly did that, you know, in second century. But they they also built aqueducts and roads, and there were all kinds of kind of uh, humanitarian or civil things that they did to, to, to help out. And so uh, there was this idea that you could be a Christian in the military as long as you were in a non-combatant role, as long as you refused to kill. But then they said, can you really do that? Right. Can you aren't you always in a position where you would be forced to fight? And that's where they said so powerfully. Well, in those situations for Christ, we can die, but we cannot kill for Christ. We can die, but we cannot kill. So being a good Christian might make it difficult to be a good soldier or vice versa. You know, being a Christian for the early Christian. There were some occupations that were just at odds with the gospel. So you couldn't be an executioner, <laughs> right? Um, and yet this is interesting to think about today because some of our governors who are carrying out the most executions in the United States claim to be Christian. Um, uh, the, the governor of Texas is Catholic. The governor of Florida uh, is um, a, a you know professing evangelical Christian. There's different uh, governors like in Oklahoma that are carrying out the most executions in our country, and they're going to church every Sunday. So this is a problem. You know, when it comes to that ethic of life that we see in the early church, one of the things that's so beautiful is it wasn't just violence that they said you know Christians shouldn't participate in. They, I mean, they certainly said that. They said if you are a soldier fighting in combat, you've got to denounce that vocation, which is incompatible with the gospel of Jesus, or you're not ready to be baptized as a Christian. So, I mean, it was really strict, but they also said, if you work in the brothels, if you are a sculptor of idols, these are all occupations that are at odds with the gospel. And it's interesting because we don't necessarily do that today. I mean, we probably say, yeah, you know, if you own a porn shop, you know, an adult bookstore, you probably need to rethink your job. And yet we don't necessarily continue as the early church did to say every occupation and career should be considered. Does it seek first the kingdom of God? Does it align with the values of the sanctity of life? So what does that mean if you work for Lockheed Martin, right? the world's largest arms contractor, uh, a, a company that has made millions and millions of dollars off of war and militarism. Uh, what, what does it mean um, if you're working for a company that's abusing human rights? Uh, uh, what, what does it mean if you're, you're uh, uh, a, a politician that has the power 
to execute or not execute someone. So this is where I think it's such a powerful uh, inspiration. These early Christians uh, that that were so specific about what it, the cost of discipleship, as Bonhoeffer says, they weren't willing to cheapen grace, to cheapen the cost of discipleship. If you want to be baptized, if you want to be a Christian, then do it. But you might need to le- lose your job. <laughs> There's some jobs that we we might need to uh, tap out of, and 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 all things are being made new. So we're you're gonna you're gonna find a new life in Christ. So what does following Jesus mean? Not just if I, you know, work in a brothel or a porn shop, but what if what if we work for a company whose values don't line up with the values of the gospel? Um, so I want, you know, on some of these other issues, it's important to say that, you know, I when I was writing Rethinking Life, I didn't want to ignore abortion. I don't want to make it the only issue or the issue that eclipses all other issues, but it is important that the early Christians talked about abortion. Um, eight, there's um, of the prominent leaders and thinkers of the early church, eight mentioned abortion in 11 different writings. Um, in every instance, they unequivocally condemn abortion. Um, it's also important that they were um, also, uh, their definition of abortion would be a little bit different, a lot different than ours today. Like they um, also considered abortion actually having a baby and leaving it in the wilderness to die. Um, I mean, we would all call that murder. Um, And yet that was um, one of the forms that abortion had. It was also about controlling, for a lot of this, it was the decision of the man um, in their society to decide when someone should be born, when someone shouldn't, when a woman should reproduce or not. Um, it was about power and control, and um, and that's part of what they are denouncing. Um, so it was, it was, um, it's you know, uh, it does it, those those words that they said have a lot of implications for us today. But it's um, um, also important, I think, to realize that we've got some different nuances and, you know, it's a little different leaving a kid in the wilderness and taking a day after pill. And there's also this element of patriarchy that they were um, uh, really critiquing. Um, and so uh, there's some, you know, great writing that I kind of point folks to um, Beverly Harrison um, and um, uh, in in her book, Our Right to Choose, and Dave Gushy's book, who's a great Christian ethicist. I build on a lot of his work. Um, but they do make it clear, you know, that each of these issues is an issue of life and death, and Christians should always be siding on the side of life. Um, and those early Christians writing about abortion, they wrote about God forming life in the womb, and that we should be advocates for that life, you know, from um, conception to death, natural death. And too often, Christians who call themselves pro-life have just really, if we're honest, been anti-abortion or they've been pro-birth, right? But once the baby's born, we sort of abandon it. And and I want to say, you know, that we, we should, life doesn't begin at conception and end once you're born, right? But we, we should be advocates of life from womb to tomb. As we look at the, you know, the capital punishment, they're over and over that they, they were speaking against um, capital punishment. And um, Athenagoras said, we cannot bear to see a person put to death, even justly. There's not even a circumstance that we could uh, justify the death penalty. What you won't find in all of it, right? And I wish this were true today, is a single prominent Christian defending violence in every form. They always called it 
sinful, um, uh, a violation of the gospel and um, undermining the sacredness of every human life. So they were they were pro-life from from womb to tomb. So followers of Jesus, they were a contrast culture, a holy counterculture that stood on the side of life. Uh, and these early Christians, they bear witness to love and grace. Uh, anyone could love their friends, but Christians were to love their enemies. In a culture of death, they were the champions of life. In a culture of hatred, they were the people of love. And even the pagan secular culture noted how powerful their witness for peace and for love, uh, even of their enemies, was. They were uh, people paid attention because of their love. And that's why people paid attention to them. And it's hopefully why people pay attention to us, because Christianity is not just a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's not just taught. It's caught. It's it's a contagion of love and grace. Uh, and in, in the New Testament, it's no coincidence, right, that Christians were referred to as the way, because it was a lifestyle, a totally new and different way of living in the world. So let's let that do something to us. Um, even in the face of the death that was so prevalent in their world, they stayed convicted in the sacredness of life. And sometimes it cost them their very lives. So may the witness of the early Christians inspire us and may it convict us. May they dare us to take Jesus as seriously as they did, even if it costs us our lives. So we're going to keep talking about this message of life, sacredness of every person. You can get um, this book. If you, if you haven't read my, my book, Rethinking Life, you can get it um, on all of our websites. You can go to my, my webpage, which is just my name, shaneclayborn.com. Um, but if you haven't signed up to join Red Letter Christians, that's what we're about, advocating for life. We're about trying to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said, and folks like these early Christians inspire us. So go to redletterchristians.org and join the movement. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.